Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines, where we do what? Say it with me. Get inside the minds of brilliant comedians or comedic talent or people who love the world of funny. That goes from any, any, any space, any level. I'm talking writing, directing. I'm talking stand-up comedy. I'm talking about people who love to not only laugh, but to make others laugh. And today's mine, holy shit, we got a fucking great one. We got a legend. And I love that I can say legend. And I love that I can also say friend, real friend. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome Seth Rogen, the comedy gold mine. Seth, what's up, man? What's up, man? That was a great intro. Over that, oh, it was you fucking that, great. You give that a lot, and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like, look, Seth, I can, I can definitely play in the, in the world of, you know, hey, man, I got to give this guy, this guy a, a, a solid introduction to go down your yes. credits and all of that stuff. But the beauty of this show is, like, you know, it's not really required. You don't need it. It's like, you know, when you, well, you know who I'm talking to, it's about the conversation, right? It's not about, it's not about what's been done. It's about what, what my audience doesn't know that I can then have them walk away from this conversation with a better understanding of. I, I hope, I, I hope you're able to do that. You, you're setting up these expectations and I, I hope that, I hope you're able to make it up. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, you're setting this up, not me. This is all, this is all on you, Kevin. I wish you luck getting that from me. <laughs> well, here's how I'm going to start. I'm going to start yeah. off by telling people, man, I've known, I've known Seth Rogen for uh, years. I actually, uh, Seth was in, um, Los Angeles, uh, let me see here, at the very beginning of my career, before, before any movies, before any TV, there was the world of Judd Apatow and, uh, and the relationships that Judd Apatow, Judd Apatow had became my relationships. And Seth, Seth was a very, uh, a very valuable uh, piece to Judd's puzzle. You know, he was not only an actor, he was somebody that um, found his way into the, the, the creative side early on in his career and and I'm talking this is uh this is back when freaks and geeks uh was was judge show and Seth was you how old were you at the time Seth uh I was when we met I was like 18 years old I think 18 or 19 18 years old yeah yeah fucking uh, young dude yeah <laughs> do you look back at this and and honestly think about how many people we were around at that time in our careers that have blossomed and become, you know, the big stars that they've become? Yes, very much so. It's crazy. It's wild. And it's nice that so many people went on to do well. And it's not, and it's validating because I thought and I, I, that they, that these were funny people, you know, <laughs> like I yeah. thought, I thought you were yeah. a funny person. And so it, it was nice to see that you went on to become incredibly successful. Cause I was always like, Oh, Ken's 
hilarious. And so it's, it was very, in, in, in some ways, your success was validating to me, which is all I look for in any situation is how do I validate myself with this? <laughs> you know what I can say, man? I, I can honestly say that when you look back at James Franco, you look back at you, you look back at uh, January Jones, you look yeah. back at, uh, you know, Charlie uh, Hunnam, Charlie, yeah. Charlie Hunnam. Um, you look back at uh, Jay yeah. uh, Baruchel, you look back at, um, Jason oh God, who else? Who else? Oh Jason, God, Jason Amy Siegel. Poehler was in that thing that you guys, uh, Amy Poehler. Yes. And that was before, yeah, mm-hmm. she was, I don't think she was on. No, we were all we were all in those beginning stages. Everybody was. Everybody was in those beginning stages. But what what struck me like the the most about you was at this time when we were when we were really like, you know, in this space, it was how in depth you were from the side of writing. Right. Like how how did you tap into that? Like what what was the segue there? Because, you know, your relationship with Judd, it it didn't start out like, okay, well, you're going to you're going to also write on this as well. How did how did you make that segue into being the writer, the young producer um, early on in your career? Um, well, I had done stand-up comedy is where I mm-hmm. started uh, when I was like 13. And at the same time, I started trying to write a, a movie and, and that movie became super bad. But at the time it was just me and Evan, who you know, um, like writing down our high school experiences kind of in script form. Um, and it kind of became clear by the time we met that like I was not great at stand-up comedy, nor was it something I was like really passionate about because I was meeting more and more people like you who clearly were very passionate about it. And I would see mm-hmm. the difference in our attitudes about it. And I would just see like, oh, clearly like Kevin, for example, feels a way about this that I don't. Like you wanted to get up all the time. I was more than happy to not perform <laughs> for large periods of time on it, you know, but I found with writing movies and scripts, I felt like it was something that not a lot of people my age were really pursuing. And and I think because of that, I felt like I had like a really strong perspective on it. And, um, wow. and it was also, yeah, and then we'd been doing it for a long time. So when we met, I had a draft of Superbad that I had been trying to sell and it ultimately was very close to the movie. So no one wanted to make it, but it was a very good writing sample. And Judd, because of that, hired me as a writer on Undeclared, which was a TV show that he was producing around the time we met. And the way that Judd set up his writers for his TV shows is if you wrote an episode, you essentially were the producer of that episode. And it was kind of like a little movie and you were in charge of casting it and you would oversee the shooting of it and you were kind of in charge of editing it. And through doing that, I got like a real education as to like how to produce things. Basically, you like saw something through from like the very beginning through the like completion of production. Um, And then... Yeah, when you, so how we met was Judd sold this pilot called North Hollywood and attached to the pilot were like, they they sold like three or four scripts or something were a part of the deal. So they were going to shoot a pilot and then uh, have scripts written along with the pilot. And I got hired to write one of those scripts with Jason. So I was kind of like around throughout the shooting of the pilot, the casting of the pilot and the writing of the pilot because I was like gonna be a writer on the show if the show went on to get made basically. And obviously the hilarious thing that happened, I don't know if you've talked about this, is that I was like very good friends with Jason Siegel and on the show you were roommates with Jason Siegel and Judd yes. made you and Jason Siegel live together yes. in yes. Jason's apartment. Yes, you had to go. Seth had to go at the time. It was Kevin go move in with Jason. Yes. And it was like, you're Jason's new best friend now. You need to go live with Jason, Kevin, for the sake of this show and the success that we feel it can have. It's going to come down to your chemistry. So the only way for you guys to really get the chemistry that I believe you can is to live together. Okay, Judd. All right. 
as soon as I get to LA, first thing that I've been tasked with is living with a white man. It was it was the first thing. Exactly. <laughs> I remember you using a phone book, and this dates the story, to call uh, barbers. You were looking for a barber. Yes. You, you didn't yes. have a barber in LA. I remember Who the fuck is going to cut my hair? It was the biggest problem. Exactly. That was my biggest problem. Yeah. That I had. We're smoking weed, just watching you go through the phone book, uh, like questioning barbers. Who the fuck am I going to call? Yeah. Who the fuck am I gonna call, man? So you guys don't know no barbers? No, Kevin. We don't, we no, have no yeah, idea. You're like, where do you guys get your haircut on? Like, <laughs> uh, the mall? Kev, we go to the mall. <laughs> exactly. I think I did get my haircut at the mall. You know what's crazy though, Seth? Like, you know, when you when you say the way that like you were you were thrown into the process, right? Like Judd just he he gave you not only an opportunity, but you know, he gave you this crash course in a school that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this very clear, you know, for, for my listeners, this type of school, this education, it doesn't exist. This isn't how it traditionally happens. You know, you don't, you don't meet uh, producers, showrunners that are this generous, this generous yeah. within uh, giving the opportunity to not just, not just partner, but to, to fast track somebody in the world of credit, in the world yeah. of credit and, and, and understanding. Standing and Seth, you know, once again, he's talking. Seth was 18. We're talking 18, 19 years old, man. Um, Seth, at, at some point, right, when you were in this, and as it was clicking for you, did you did you realize that you were going to be able to start the machine of production company starring and developing my own movies and partnering with studios? Um, it honestly kind of it, it came about very organically, like I was, I was young. So also like, it wasn't, I wasn't like, and I was having much more success much faster than I thought I was going to in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. my, my thinking wasn't instantly geared towards like, how do I do more and more and more? It was more like, this is good. I would like to keep doing this, you know? Um, but what happened was, yeah, is in a very quick period of time, basically we made a 40 year old virgin in 2000. Four, you were in it. You were there. Um, I, I remember actually you had a baby the day that you were filming that scene. Yes, yes, yes. Your fucking memory is great, man. I love this. Well, that sticks with you as you're like improvising with an actor as they're like looking at their watch because they're like, I, I'm going to have a baby today. I think it could be going down, guys. I think it, I think there's a chance that I may have this baby uh, today. I remember, I remember while we were there. No, it's going to come today. This is commitment. Um, and then uh, you, uh, yeah, so they made that movie and it came out in 2005. And then we made Knock, and because of that, it did really well. And they were essentially like, we'll make all the scripts you have to judge. Yep. And, and what was next was Knocked Up, Super Bad, and Pineapple Express. And I had written uh, Superbad and Pineapple Express with Evan. So in one calendar year, we made Knocked Up, Superbad, and Pineapple Express. And and they came out over the following two years, but they were all produced in one, like one right after the other, one after the other. We were kind of like prepping one as we were shooting uh, the other one, basically, because we also had this attitude of like, who the fuck knows when they're going to stop this? (laughs) Like, we have to make these. (laughs) Like, we got to get them out there because like they could just pull the plug on this whole fucking operation at any moment, you know? Um, And then after those came out, it, you know, and they all did very well. It kind of put us in a different position. Um, And that's when we, in the meantime, we were developing this script called 50-50 that my friend had written. And Judd was developing a similar movie called Funny People that I ended up being in with Adam Sandler. I I, I think you shot some stuff for that as well. And um, and they were kind of similar. So Judd was just like, I can't produce this movie because it has similar ideas in it. And he was like, why don't you just produce it yourselves? And we were like, okay. And it was like a $9 million movie. So it was a good way to start. And that was like the first movie that our production company made. And it like turned out really well. It was profitable for an inexpensive movie. And it became like a very good we, we started working with the people that we formed the company with um, during that movie. And uh, yeah, and then it kind of just grew from there, basically. How did you find Evan? 
How did how did you and Evan get together? We met in bar mitzvah class uh, when we oh, were shit. when we were twelve years old. Uh, we literally went to the same synagogue, and um, <laughs> we and like we met in yeah we we like we, like before your bar mitzvahs you have to like study for it. Uh, it's like going to like a confirmation class or some shit like that, you know. And um, you go to the synagogue like once a week, and and we were in the same bar mitzvah class. And then what happens is. You go to the bar and bat mitzvahs of everyone in your class. So that year, you go to like 50 bar mitzvahs. So essentially every weekend, you're at a bar mitzvah. And so every weekend, me and Evan found ourselves like at a bar mitzvah. And that's the first time you're like trying to dance with girls and you're stealing sips of alcohol and you're smoking weed. And so we were like we met during this very like formative time. And then, and then we joined, then we went to high school together right after that. And that's, and we started writing super bad, like right when we went into high school, basically. Dude, you know what I love? I love that, you know, it's one of those relationships that you can tell is genuine, but it's, uh, I feel like, I feel like when you, when you have a, a, a high level of chemistry, right. And, and, and a work relationship, you do the best work because you guys have each other's best interest at hand. For sure. And I remember when I was on the set, when you guys were doing that end of, end of, in the world. This is the end. This is the end. <laughs> you guys are doing this is the end. And I remember you guys literally consulting with one another after you were doing like each take, like, did we get it? Yeah. Uh, do you feel like we got it? And you respected what each other had to say. Like there, there was no, I'm the guy and, and you're not the guy or you're the guy and I'm not the guy. There was this equal, there was this equal, um, an equal level of we, it, oh, it was yeah. you guys were, it was, it was heavy. We, and I remember leaving that and I was so inspired, man, Seth, I never told you this. I was so fucking inspired because I get there and this was like, it was your set. Like you, you guys were the bosses. You're, I, I look at the call sheet and remember, this is when I was like, this is when I'm starting to become Kevin Hart. Right? Yeah. I'm at like the height of this stand up comedy career. We were thrilled you showed up. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, this is when I'm like fucking selling out stadiums and shit. It's going crazy for me. I remember getting there, looking at the call sheet, and it wasn't about the money. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Absolutely, I'm there. And, when I saw all of the names that came in to be a part of this movie and I saw producers at the top and it was you and Evan's name and your company's name. And then I saw all of the major actors that you guys had within Jonah, within, uh, you know, Chris, uh, James, you guys had um, Danny. I mean, you know, I, I can go down the, the, the list of just amazing, talented people. I was like, this is the next level of the business. This is the next stage of the business. And I said, Seth has cracked the fucking code <laughs> of, of this stage. He's, he's doing it. And this is the level that, that I need to be trying to get to. And that's when the producing bug really got turned on for me. That's when the, the world of heartbeat productions and what we, what we now are, that's where it sparks Seth. it sparked from you. And, and this is the end with you guys, um, being so far because you had done, like you said, you guys had had movies that you had wrote and that you were producers on, but this was like the company. Yeah. This was the fucking company. And I was like, this is it for me. This is, this is what I want to do. Oh, and you awesome. and Evan did that, man. Oh, that's so you nice. Well, I should say you're technically the first person I know who had a production company because when I met you in 2001, you answered your own phone, Heartbeat Productions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first thing say, I learned in my life. You go, one second, and then you go, yeah, yeah. man, what's up? <laughs> hey, Kev, was that you? Yeah. It was me. Yeah, I, no. just, uh, <laughs> I was doing this thing, man, where I was making people feel like they're calling the office. You know, that's the, the big thing is perception. That's what I learned yeah, exactly. out here is the perception that people have of you you wanted to be in a, a good place <laughs> uh you said you said that there was a point you know where you realized that you you sucked this stand-up comedy why why so hard on yourself why why do you feel like you suck no, I, I didn't suck at it i honestly was something that's like much even worse than sucking is i was just like pretty good at it like I was like, and you probably, you know, I present awards. You probably got a taste of, of how I was or as a comedian, you know what I mean? Like I'm at the Emmys, I'm at, you know, like it, it was kind of like that. And it's fine. I'm good for like, 
like one minute i'm i'm good for not like the the amount like i'm good for like four jokes but honestly like beyond that i'm like i'm fine I, like yeah. i'm not terrible i'm not yeah. i'm definitely not great i would see people who were great and be like i'm not like that but i was like and, and that was almost the worst thing to be because i was like i could keep doing this and be fine at it, <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to do that. It's like, uh, yeah, it, it was a real, and it was good to quit. I'm glad I look at it as like something in my life where I'm like, I'm glad I acknowledged I wasn't as good at it as I would like to be at a thing that I'm doing with my life, you mm. know? Mm. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Did you ever did you ever think about hosting anything? Did you ever think about like, you know, the the side yeah. of award shows and, and I, Seth Rogan, you know, doing the Globes, the Emmys. Again, the I guess Oscars. I thought about it. I hosted once the Independent Spirit Awards, mm -hmm. and I actually like. I, I it was actually very funny. I think like the monologue I gave and the jokes mm -hmm. I gave, and I look back at it and I think like those were very funny jokes. But I also look at it and think like I literally could not have done any of that at like a mainstream award show like it like everything i said was appalling <laughs> to yeah, what would yeah, be like yeah. um you know a mainstream audience and that's the problem i find honestly and it's why it's like even the emmys like what i did was so benign i think on the grand scale of comedy and people like yeah. lost their minds about it no I, I clearly knew what you were doing and, and where you were like it was it was a fucking great bit. You're in a goddamn, you're in a bit. You're like, we're you're, in a little tent. And like, and, and, and the Emmys were so mad. And I'm just like, if that gets the mad, if like one minute of that gets the mad, then like, I cannot host it. And I could never but, host it. But you know what's stuff. crazy? What's crazy, Seth, is that just shows you the, the state of comedy and where we are. Right, like, well, like I don't find it. With, like, I mean, I think for like movies, I find with our movies and stuff, we can do whatever the fuck we want. And like, I'm yeah. making a lot of TV shows right now that like, we can do whatever we want. Like, yeah. I think it's just like knowing where, knowing where, I mean, I'm like, again, was an award show like ever like the place that true comedy went to thrive? Like, I Absolutely. don't know. No. Like, I think like Bill Never. singing about like Sen of a Woman. Like, that's like, that's like <laughs> sensibility shift. Like, I'm confused why people think award shows have to be relevant. Like, why do they? Who well, cares? you know what it is? It's, it's not that people think that it's that, there, there's like a, there's loud conversations and then there's conversations that people just don't have, right? The conversations attached to the award shows and the talent that's participating in them, it's a louder conversation. In other words, meaning it, it gets, it gets press. It gets, it, it, it gets this, it gets this stigma because the conversation is loud, but the yeah. bulk of people around it, you know, that are, that are moving at a fast pace in this business, it, 
it doesn't matter to them. Like it's not, it's not moving the needle to no. the people that are necessarily moving the needle. It's not like this is a must. And there's this stigma and perception that's been put on a lot of these things as if it is, right? Like you, like you going up and and going, yeah, man, uh, this place ain't safe. They got us in the goddamn tent. Ain't no fucking air in here. Y'all said that we would be, it's a bit. You're in a bit. It's funny. Whether whether you're being truthful with it or not, it's a bit. You're in a funny moment. And that's what that's what that's what people are like. Um we're 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 forgetting that 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 that's the norm. We're we're forgetting that there's a sense of normalcy and people just going and being funny or being silly or being personable. It's almost as if we're expecting everybody to be on a program all the time. <laughs> Which is which is kind of odd to me, you know, but it gets tricky. It's a weird it's a weird conversation because like I've you found said, that I, I have not found and this is something I say a lot to like I've not found at all that I can't say anything I don't want to say personally. Yeah. Like, I, I, but but that could speak to the fact that I have beliefs that are not reprehensible to a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't get shit for for putting my beliefs out into the world. You know what I mean? I think that is like the difference, you know. But like I've never. You know, I, I don't, do I make, I, I don't know. I don't think, do I, I, I've never even think is this stuff edgy or not edgy. I just genuinely try to make stuff that makes me laugh and that I think makes the audience laugh. And I say in general, we make movies that are funny and that hit the mark. And I think, you know, like if you look at the last few years of R-rated comedy, I think between blockers and good boys and the things that we've been making long shot, like they're either some of the better ones or some of the more successful ones or both at times. And so, I don't know, I'm just speaking for one very narrow section of comedy and I will say that's like R-rated comedic filmmaking. And I don't find that there's anything we can't do that we, yeah, could, that we used to be able to do. <laughs> you don't miss, you, yeah. you don't miss, right? And then your, in your approach to, to edgy, you're not doing the, you're not doing the let's be edgy to create these shock factors. Yeah. Right. You're 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 doing relatable edgy. You're you're doing you're doing shit that people can identify and understand because they've either done it, they know somebody that's done it, yeah. or they've been around people that talked about doing it. Right. Yeah. It's all it's all off of experiences. It's all off of grounded real moments in life. And when you bring up good boys, I mean, I don't think there's a funnier movie. Right. When you talk about good boys, and you talk about these kids and you talk about um, how you guys uh, really tapped into the world of, of vulgar uh, and involving kids. Well, that's real. What do you think kids do? I found my 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 son's my son's group chat in his phone. I've never seen more curse words <laughs> exactly. in my life. But I think like that's the exact type of thing that most people would be like, oh, like you can't be funny anymore. And then it's like we are a movie where it's like. 12 year olds saying like literally the grossest shit <laughs> you can imagine and and people are fine with it like uh, like a select you know it, it gets good reviews it makes a lot of money like and if that isn't a good barometer for people being fine with something like i don't know what it is so i think like you find there are things you wish you could are you writing down things that you're crossing out because you're just like the world's no. already this. <laughs> no the, the, the bad part for me is you know the the and this i've talked about this several times on the podcast where i struggle and where i have to be careful is you know i've built this brand right and the kevin hart in the brand the the brand of myself the brand of company but now there's people that are underneath this umbrella right and these people that are underneath this umbrella well they they work they work for me they work with me and I just had to be mindful of my actions because I don't want my actions to affect their reality. And that's, and that's what I have to be careful about. And that's what I'm mindful of. Right. Because you know, the thing that I may go, man, I don't give a fuck about that. That's stupid. Like y'all get, get out my goddamn face. And I carry on with whatever stubborn moment, whatever stubborn move. If this is something that you know, is deemed bad and consequences come in from it. Well, I can survive the consequences. I'll be okay. But the people around me, they can't. 
and yeah. and I and I got to make sure that I don't think about it in a way as if they can. So so that's where I'm just extremely mindful, and not to the that's point good. of like crossing shit out, just to the point where I'm just aware. Is I'm more aware today <laughs> than than I ever was. I remember you going on your um on Twitter. This is when um you know just like it was a it was just a racial moment, right? Where where people were just really really just trying to uh embrace this world of of hate especially you know uh, based on color and i remember you going on social media he was like hey if you're a person that follows me and if you think like this then i don't want you fucking following me and you know people started saying shit and you just start going off on people well fuck you too hey you know you eat a dick yeah well, get the fuck off my page and i mean if if people only knew you they would know that that's really who you are <laughs> <laughs> you you weren't doing that as a bit you were being serious because at the end of the day seth rogan yes he loves what he does but seth rogan is very much uh seth rogan he's he's, a, he's him and and that that person that he is he he's never allowed others to question how good of a person he is because he knows it and if anybody around him you know if your morals aren't right or if you or if you're just a person that's kind of out of line or out of order you've always been the guy that will fuck you or fuck this guy you've never not been that guy right never and i, and I love that about you i love that about you man i appreciate that uh i wish it was hard to really i, I get like it's it, like i i enjoy doing it so it's not it's something <laughs> yeah. i feel weird getting praised for because it's it's a true pleasure to be totally honest um but uh i do think when you and i'm sure this is something that you can relate like i think when you are a like a famous person and i'm sure mm -hmm. like people are always kicking the tires on you because especially when you're a comedian because i think one of the things people are buying into is your perspective like i think it's different than with actors who don't write their own material or performance themselves because like you know whatever i could think like whoever but i'll pick someone you know I, I could think like adrian brody's like the worst human i've never met him i should say i, I could think he's the worst guy ever but i love his performance and so mm -hmm. like truthfully i find myself watching mel gibson movies i find him reprehensible <laughs> you know but like but but i'm not buying into who mel gibson is as a person i am yes. buying into his ability to perform you know what i mean yes. but with the yes. comedian you are buying into who they are as a person and their perspective on the world. And I think that's why people are kicking the tires on comedians, maybe mm. more than other types of performers, because they want to know if it's okay to be buying into their perspective and enjoying it. And I think that's the thing I find with myself is people you know, want to laugh at me and want to laugh at my films and the things I write and the things I put out, but they want to be like, okay, but just like every little while, we got to make sure that like we're all on the same page here because if we're not, I don't know if you're someone whose perspective I want to be indulging in necessarily. And it's not because of my ability to perform or be funny or anything like that. It's because with comedy specifically, I think you kind of have to like the person for yes. lack of a better thing. And I think that is something that comedians I see out there publicly reacting to in very weird ways when they just start to become someone that maybe people don't like as much as they used to. And, and that becomes very, upsetting to them, you know? And I think like, that's a thing that maybe people just need to be like, oh, maybe I am acting in a way that's less likable, or maybe my views are just less likable and I should accept that. And I shouldn't expect the same reaction when I'm being less likable, you know? Um, but I- You know what, you know what yeah. I talked about, man? And I, I've said this a couple of times, that, and I wish that this would, I wish that this quality would come back. People have forgotten that it's okay to not be a fan yeah and to they, not they have fans they've forgotten <laughs> yeah. they people have forgotten that it's okay like it really is okay to say you know what that person isn't for me yeah. it's okay like it's, it's not it's not a bad thing if you have that feeling and for some reason in today's time people that have that feeling feel like they have to persuade others to share the same feeling. But I find respectively, 
comedians who are alienating large groups of who may be there might be their audience mm -hmm. are acting like some unreasonable uh inquisition is being held against them when mm -hmm. simply what is happening is they've said things that people find to be reprehensible which, which is fine and Absolutely. they're acting like there's some cultural upheaval targeted at them when simply what has occurred is they've lost fans because of what they said well there's it's the world it's the world of disagreeing right yeah I, I, did i say that word right seth is it disagreeing disagreeing is a word disagreeing. i think yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what the fuck i said but i, I don't think it was right i'm and not an people, educated man when people hear it i just want you to know i called myself on it so don't don't think, think i'm that disagreeing bad. is a word okay so so what i what i think is happening here is this right here here's my take on you tell me what you think yeah if i did say something and if I did, if I did possibly, let's just say trigger, let's use the word trigger, right? If I said something and it triggered said feeling uh, in individual or individuals, right? And I said it and those individuals go, well, you know what? We don't like what you said. Those individuals have every single right to feel a way about me as a talent and to not want to support my talent right and when those individuals speak out and say that they don't like me and my talent well now as the talent i have a choice to either accept that what i said acted as a trigger and understand that and and go okay well maybe i just you know will refrain from doing that because i don't want to trigger anybody i don't want to upset anybody because that's not what i'm doing what i do for but if there's any type of misunderstanding or if there's any type of miscommunication, well, I also have the choice to try to communicate correctly. In today's time, we're not finding a middle ground, right? Like no, nobody, nobody is okay with, with finding the solution. Everybody's okay with the problem. Nobody's okay with the solution, Seth. And that to me, that's that's where the problem occurs, right? Because you know, we can we can talk about Chappelle. You know what, what Chappelle is doing now in his last special. It's 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 more about being focused on the problem and not solution. And I see people buying past the attempt to find solution and solely focusing on the problem. But but that's that is well within people's rights. Like if you're saying something that you know is probably going to be really offensive to a lot of people, mm -hmm. and then those people are very offended by it. Uh, you, as the sayer of these offensive things, are then insane to act like there is something amiss with that dynamic because <laughs> you knew that was what was going to happen. And well, you take that, you know the, you know the risk that right? comes yeah, with saying. Yeah, like if I say saying. something right now, let's say I wasn't a Jewish person, and right now I'm like, you know what, fuck Jews, fuck them. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa! And like, and so <laughs> you know, and then Jews got mad about that. I was, am I, and I was like, look, Jews, this is my opinion. Settle down. I'm a comedian. Would yeah. I, I'm wrong in that situation. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And if, but I can say it, no one's going to tell, no one's going to legally stop me from saying it. Mm -hmm. And just like no one is legally stopping any comedian from saying anything I don't think ever. And I say this as one of the few comedians on earth to actually have their material like pulled down basically mm -hmm. you know what i mean like mm -hmm. very few comedians had a a piece of work that started that caused the controversy that the interview did to the point that it literally like there was threat threats of violence against i was literally going to bring that up i mean you you talk about you you talk about being in it i mean of course we're no strangers to it myself included you know we've both been in some of the 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 heaviest um i guess you say pieces of turmoil yeah in, but in to that end i don't look at what happened with that and think i'm like yeah we made a very controversial film where we assassinate a world leader and like and controversy ensued <laughs> like that it, it it makes sense to me and it's not something i get mad about and it's not something i complain about and i think that's mostly what i see with comedians honestly and i would reduce it to that in a lot of ways is they just seem a lot of comedians just seem to be complaining that people are offended by their offensive jokes and it's and it's that simple to me and as someone who's offended a lot of people throughout their career i 
if I think that they are not right to be offended, I don't complain about it. And if I think that they are right to be offended, I have to think like, okay, do I stand by that? D did I not understand what I was doing? Should I apologize? Or do I feel like, uh, you know what, fuck it. But one way or another, it's like, you know what you're doing. And so why get so upset about it? Like, I don't, that to me is like, that's mostly where I get lost in the conversation is like, it, it's, a, it, it's become this thing. I hear so many comedians talking about, we can't make the jokes we used to make. We can't say the stuff we used to say. And I'm just like, it's like, so oh, your job is hard? Who fucking cares? Everyone's job's fucking hard. Make fun of your fucking jokes and don't appall people. I'm sorry. Now that's part of your job. If you want that, if you don't yeah. want to be known as someone who appalls people, and if you don't care, then just make your fucking jokes and, 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 and you will continue to do it. You can be a very successful comedian touring the country saying the worst shit ever on stage on a nightly basis if you want, you know? Like, you just can. And so, like, that, I mostly don't get what people are complaining about, honestly. Well, well you're, you're, you're solution-based. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I am. Well, or the, or the answer is just like comedians complain that people like complaining about their jokes and causing this friction and this turmoil, I would say that it seems like a lot of comedians like to do the exact same thing. And they like to complain about people complaining about their jokes and, and, and add to that turmoil of that conversation, you know? <laughs> well, we're living in a very negative time, Seth. <laughs> I try to keep it positive, Kevin. <laughs> negative time, right? So being positive in this time, it's a it's a rare it's a rare quality. It's it's one that most don't have. Is it a hard time to be a comedian? Do you look at do you, it's like is that a thing? Like do you genuinely think that? Do you look at what we're doing and you're like, man, the the lot of the comedian is so hard right now. Like do you No, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's hard. I think that it is a, uh, I think for the first time, you know, a comedian is, is looked at the same way that a politician is, which is weird, right? Like it's not like that, that, that line was always far apart. It was always far apart. But today, the same attention that a politician gets when they speak comedians, depending on the comedian, depending on the stature um, you know, it's attached to the comedian can get the same attention, right? So, so there's a comic where once upon a time, you know, you making jokes about whatever political, you know, life, whatever it was, it didn't grab the attention of the, of those masses It had the attention of the people, but you never really crossed over there. It never became a conversation. I think today in today's time, it's like, it's like it, it, it is. Right. Like, you know, everything, everything that's said when you have that microphone in your hand, well, it can be taken and it and it can be, you know, I don't I don't want to say used against you because that's the wrong that's the wrong in, intent. But everybody can say, well, I heard when you said this and when you said that, I thought it was this. I can see that. I see how the nature of being a comedian has changed in that way. And, and, and for I sure. for sure think that as someone who makes movies, I think that was always the filter I was putting my work through mm -hmm. is like, would the masses be appalled by this? <laughs> and, and is this, is this reprehensible to the masses? Because I think when you make movies, you know that it is forever and that a lot of people are going to see it probably, you know what I mean? And I guess maybe as a comedian, there was, there used to be some coverage in knowing that, that maybe you were just saying it one night and hopefully not a lot of people were hearing it if it was a fucked up thing. <laughs> Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a question for you, right? When you talk about the interview and we talk about that time, by the way, you know, I was caught up in that shit with you. Yeah, you were everyone, everyone who had ever worked for the Columbia Pictures Corporation yes. was the, the email, that. The emails and all that shit. Came. I remember getting a call. I remember getting a call and it was like, hey, 
You see what's going on? The fucking <laughs> with, with with the interview where they hacked off Sony's emails. Kev, you're in it. And I was like, of course I am. I, I remember just going, of course. Why, why wouldn't I be? Why why wouldn't this be something else? When when that hit, was was there like a moment where you know, I, I call it like the old fuck moments, right? There's a moment when when you're in some shit and you're by yourself and you just sit down and you really process what the fuck is going on. You kind of just, oh, fuck. You, you oh, fuck yourself. Yeah. Was, there, was there a moment where you sat down, you know, in quiet, it's just you, and truly realized the magnitude of what was happening? Yeah, there was a lot of them, and it kept escalating. There, there was a moment I did that very early on, and then it kept getting worse from there, and I kept having more and more oh fuck moments. And I mean, I thought like there was a moment where like literally like Obama was giving like an entire press conference dedicated to it for like half an hour, forty five minutes or something like like like, and, like it was moments like that where I was just like Jesus Christ, like and uh, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was huge. It was far beyond anything that I had experienced or that anyone I had known who worked in movies had experienced. It yes, was never happened. It, was, it became the biggest news story a movie ever had as far as like wading into like co like uh, political controversy. <laughs> Not, nothing there. I don't think there was ever a I don't think there's ever there's never been a movie to go through anything like this. There never will be another. Right, it, it'll never like, happen no. again. They would deal no, with it differently never now. They would use ours as a test case to be like, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> at at some point, at some point though, was there like a oh fuck, like, yo, we we could definitely be in, you know, in position to like get hurt. Like this is this is getting to the point where I don't know if we're safe anymore. Yeah, right? I mean, like they you gave us. They gave us like 24 hour, they gave us like armed security, Sony did. Um, and then one day just took it away from us, which was also hilarious. They didn't um, tell you, they just, yeah. they just removed it. Yeah, um, and then uh, we, yeah, it, no, I was more, I was worried a crazy American person might kill me, honestly. That was my fear. Like I wasn't worried about North Korea, genuinely. I was worried some insane, local would think they were like doing the world a favor by taking me out and it's still a fear i genuinely generally have in my life um but no it was i, I was I, I did have a fear that it would ruin my career ultimately uh, like that wow. was a fear i had that like wow people just didn't want to bother wouldn't want to bother working with me or would think that i was like, would I, was I funny anymore after that? Like, was I just like involved in something that was so fucked up that like, it just would like taint my work forever. Um, well, you never, you never spoke out like in that, you never took the stance of fuck everybody. This is stupid, right? You never, you never took that stance. I think the one, the one thing that you did that was, uh, that was public, it was when you, when you hosted SNL after. And I remember yeah. watching because I was like, you know, what what what's the angle that he's going to take that was a big that was a big fucking that was a big thing like yeah. you know do you, you can't you can't do the world and road of not not address it at all they yeah. gotta say something and and what's the approach to saying something and i think uh when you and franco did you know yeah. the the monologue was so clear and yeah. clean um you know the guests that you guys had interacting with you when you did it you kept it light and you you kept it personable and you look you look poised that's what yes. i remember saying you looked fucking poised like you know it is what it is we exuded confidence day, yeah <laughs> yes you you you, you your, your shoulders were sitting up and i was like you know if you go out there and you look like a fucking hit dog or then people are going to do things that make you holler but you you definitely had your head held high yeah. through it all yeah and then what was funny is i i was making this steve jobs movie like like it all happened in december and then in january i was in san francisco and i was working with kate winslet and like she like leaned over to me and was like 
did something happen with you recently in the news? And I and I and I instantly was just like, oh yeah, like also no one gives a fuck about anything that doesn't directly involve them on a very like day to day basis, and people like instantly forget about this shit. And like like a month later, it was as though it never happened. People bring it up, like in the you know people ask about it, but it's not like we're not like these like pariahs who like you know almost got everyone killed. Um, yeah, and it was like oh as soon as that happened, I was like oh yeah, no one gives a shit. Like, it's totally fine. <laughs> I think it's it's very important to just, to, to understand that you survived, right? Yes. Like, that's a, that's, a, that's a big deal because For sure. you know, people fold. People Definitely. Fold. We just kept working. We did not stop working. That was, I think, like a huge part of it is like, we just kept filming things. <laughs> like, we kept directing, I kept acting. And like, we didn't give people a chance to like, like, I think, I believe in momentum a lot. I'm sure you do too, as someone who never literally stops doing things. And like, I I, it, I don't have a lot of like philosophies in life, but I, I do believe in momentum. And I think like, mm-hmm. I think like when you have it, you keep it and and once you lose it it's hard to get it again and and Absolutely. i think i've been in like a constant state of momentum since 2004 <laughs> that i've been afraid to stop in some ways um and 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 i do think that like a large part of why we recovered from the interview was just like we just kept working you couldn't say that it was going to hurt our career cuz it already hadn't we had we had already filmed three things by the time that thing was happening you know what i mean and so it, it just kind of kept shit just kept coming out and so like it, it kind of answered its own question of like will this stop us and it was like no it didn't we just kept doing shit you know um, and you i mean if anything it gave you more if any, if anything, it gave you more confidence. For sure. And it made me see, like, it also made me look at a lot of the things that, again, comedians kind of talk about being embroiled in controversy. And I'm just like, that's not controversy. Like, we had a real controversy, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> their, their life isn't being threatened. Yeah. Like, a foreign power with nuclear weapons isn't personally threatening you. <laughs> then then it's not real controversy. <laughs> when I when I tell you, I, I remember, like, you, you just said, like, you know, Obama was giving a press conference uh, about it, right? And that's that's your big moment. For me, I mean, Jesus Christ, I, I remember when CNN, you know, when the shit happened with the Oscars, and I'm watching CNN, I was the first story. Yeah, man. Exactly. On CNN. And I remember going, news. holy shit. Aren't you glad you didn't host the Oscars ultimately? Do you look back at that and think like, thank God? I, I am, Seth, because it, I mean, you know, if I had done it, what what's the what's the win that I'm no. that I'm getting? That's you know always I mean? like, hey, the, I, that's always what I'm asking myself when I see people hosting award shows is like what what are you getting from this? Yeah, that like it's it's after there there's no world where I can I can or could have stepped on that stage and it wouldn't have been about that. Yeah. Right? Like it wouldn't like there there's no world where the performance would be highlighted or celebrated or embraced because it would all be about that. And that's yeah. that's that's I would say that's probably that's the that's the only thing of like damn like you know because in doing it you know if there was a world where it's like okay well we've gotten past that right like you know I I, I show that I was a a a adult I showed that you know I I was aware of where I made mistakes where I was wrong where I came off cocky ego driven and you know quickly quickly made the changes and, and and corrected it to to show hey like i i'm genuinely sorry for the way that i handled this situation and even though this was years ago and i felt like i addressed it then i should have addressed it again i should have i should have i should have taken a different stance than the one that i did and been a little more mature i've done that i found a solution even with that being said there's no world where i can step on that stage and that's not bought up again like it's it's yeah. just there isn't so that's the that's the only reason you know why i wouldn't do that now is there a different version of something else that could present itself who knows you know is it is it is it one of those shows emmys globes or some shit like that down the line who knows but yeah. for that particular chapter that that door is closed you know what i mean it's, i feel like the snl opening monologue is maybe one of the last like things for a comedian to really create like a cultural moment that actually everyone pays attention to for a 
brief moment. <laughs> That's actually a, a great, a great segue. How do you feel about SNL today? Like, you know, when you look at, when you look at the show, right, it's like, you know, does it still carry the same weight that it once did? And is it the same for everybody? Because, you know, it's like, we love Lauren. We love all yeah. of the, the writers and the talent that's a part of that show. And, you know, there's, there's moments where SNL is going to have a high volume of eyeballs. Like yeah. Kim Kardashian just doing it. Yeah. And the monologue that she just did. It got a huge, funny, huge fucking traffic, jokes. right? And was good. And yeah. for, that, for that right there, you go, holy shit, SNL still can do it. Right. Yeah. But it, it depends on the person that's there. Do you feel like it's still the same bang for you? Like come movie time? Do you feel like it's a must? Oh, I haven't hosted SNL. I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I hosted Saturday Night Live. I think, yeah. I think maybe. Would you do it? Like if they asked you to do it again, would you do it again? I would do it again. Uh, for Because uh, yeah. I enjoy it. I think it's fun. that I don't necessarily. I've, I, I've seen no correlation between like doing SNL and my movies being successful that, that come out yeah. after them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I've, I've yes. participated in a lot of movies that have failed in the wake of me hosting Saturday Night Live. <laughs> um, but I enjoy it and I love Lauren and I, and I love like the institution of it. And, and I do, if anything, I, I am still amazed at how relevant it manages to be using a mechanism that was created decades ago and essentially hasn't changed and, and if anything like it speaks in a fascinating way to me to like the timelessness of, of a good idea like and and how some things even with social media and all that like it, it still works it, it almost works mm -hmm. better than 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 anything in our era of like immediacy because it's live you know um and 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 it really like if anything i look at it yeah and i'm like this shit still holds up and like they're still yeah, getting a lot be, of eyeballs on it the way they do it is is the same as it's been literally the same people are doing they use fucking cue cards still and it like still manages to capture the attention of an uh, audience that has that's it's hard to catch people's attention for these days you know what i mean so it, like it's one of those things where it's one of those things where you look back and you say this is the longest running show you yeah. know in tv right and it's going to go down in history as one of the longest and when you look at lauren uh i think what impresses me the most is that he's actually there yeah right like he's I, he's I, actually there and as to why he's there i it's actually a piece it's something i think of almost more than anything as a general piece of advice when it comes to making things once i ask because you know he wandered he like walks through the floor throughout the whole show mm -hmm. um, and like kind of stalks around the audience and i was once like why do you do that um and he went i like to let the audience know they're in good hands and i was wow. like that's actually like and, and when we wow. make movies, it's something we talk about so much is like, how do you make it that like within the first few minutes of the movie, the audience knows they're in good hands and they can just relax. Wow. They, they, they aren't worried. Like, is this a good movie? Is it funny? Like, they just know, like, you're in good hands. We got you. We, we took care strong. of you. Don't worry about it. That's strong. Um, and it's something that that is from Lauren. And, and but the truth is, I think the best and it's why, and it's, I think the best SNL hosts are not people who are funny. <laughs> like, I think that is, I think that is what is most exciting for people. And it's why people like Kim Kardashian, to me, she's like the perfect SNL host. It's like someone who you don't associate with being hilarious and you support them with a team of writers and comedians and brilliant improvisers and imp impressionists and, and you, it, you, you make them funny, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and to me, like something I felt sometimes is just like, I don't know if this is how people want to be seeing me necessarily. <laughs> like, like I, I, it's like, is this funnier than one of my movies? I don't know if it's funny or it's maybe as funny, like potentially, but is it, it's not like, I don't know if this is the format that people are, are begging to see me in necessarily. I enjoy you know doing what? It's it. about, it's <laughs> about coming out of there though. It's about coming out of there with just one. If you can come out of SNL from all of your times doing it, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to get to that point where you host it and you host multiple times, yeah. If you can get out of SNL 
with one like legendary sketch that you know people will go back to and go remember when such and such did then that's yeah. that's mission accomplished i think yeah, i've hosted you know, I, it i've hosted snl maybe four i honestly don't know I, i've hosted maybe four times and then been like a little you gotta you gotta have your... one I, I promise you you have one you, you I, gotta I have one don't know, but... <laughs> probably you have one you may be pushing two for me i know mine's is z shirt is it a z shirt it was like that crazy. What like, year was uh, that? <laughs> oh my god! Fuck, also, like, I just feel so old every time I go there now. Where I'm no, we're like, up there. I, I, I just feel so incredibly. What are you old. talking about? Look at us. You, you. At least you wear your gray. I keep trying to fight mine. I die mine. <laughs> I keep trying to diet. This, this bitch Don't gets do gray. That, I start looking like Morgan Freeman. It's bad for me. No, <laughs> you, just enter it. Just enter. Just enter listen, me, Gold. Seth, if you see me with gray hair, you might think I'm sick. You might go, "Holy <laughs> shit, Kev's got it." You won't even know what you're referring to. You'll just say, I got it. Whatever the look, fuck it do is. Do you look funny? Do you look funny? Yeah. With, have you let it Man, happen? I just look old. I look old as fuck with great <laughs> It's bad. You suddenly look like Kevin Hart doing a character. Yeah. <laughs> Are you playing an old guy in something? <laughs> we, before we get out, before we wrap anything up, you know, you and I, we we fumbled. We fumbled the ball, and, you know, we were going to do a movie together, and then my fucking schedule, I was like, I'm going to do this project. I can't do this one. It was like one of those weird things where decisions had to be made, the development. I was like, Seth, this is going to take long. I, I, I got to make the better decision. This is a bigger movie. And by the way, it ended up being that. It ended up being a good decision because it just helped propel. But you and I have yet to get down I know, on this big screen. It. We've we've yet to we've yet to fucking find the thing that allows us to get down. And that thing, it can't be the cop. You can't be a cop. I can't be a detective. We don't want to do that, Seth. We've been on all we've been on all fronts of yeah. those movies. But when I tell you there there is an opportunity. I would love it. For you and I to 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 fuck people up and not necessarily with the the crazy, crazy, funny, slap slick. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with the with the character driven content that's based off of two real people, right? Two real fucking people. Seth, we have to crack the code. I know. I've checked. I've checked so many boxes, and we've been around each other through throughout our entire career. We've worked careers. together in very brief increments, but uh, well, yeah, that. like we've yet to like we have yet to truly get down. You replaced me with the rock. <laughs> 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 we we have to crack the code man we both sit at the top of two very successful production companies we have two amazing teams and i and i think that we should just we should task our teams you know we'll with the it. with the idea of you know you and i doing something we we yeah. need to do something and i don't I, mean, I don't give a shit you know what or how but I'm I'm saying it on record and I and I I love to say things on on record here because it's it's almost like the verbal contract. So you you're, manifest you're held to it. And then <laughs> you see me later, you're like, Kev, what the fuck happened? You say I'm full of shit. Kevin's full of shit. He said all that. I sent him three scripts. He told me to go fuck myself every time. He's a liar. You can you can say that, but you can't because it, it wouldn't now be the I case, can. man. We uh, we definitely have to make it a priority. We have to do something together before it's all said and done, man. We we to. just have to. I'm in. I'm Seth. in, Kev. Let's do it. That's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. We both work. We're both working. We might as well do it together. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Seth, this this show, man, is is really a hobby. It's a hobby for me, man. And what I love the most about it are are the the dope the dope moments of dialogue and and truth, right? Where where through the relationships that I've been able to you know um, develop over my course of time in this business. There's so many moments that, you know, people just aren't aware of. And you and I going through memory lane just now, just talking about the roommate situation, me looking for the fucking barber, uh, you know, when I had to live with Jason, um, you know, your world and road to becoming a producer that you are, you incentivizing me to start a production company. I actually got to send you these pictures that I have of us at Jason Siegel's apartment with, it's me, you, and I think January Jones and Jason Siegel and Judd is there and Amy Poehler and Will Arnett and we're and we're literally smoking like a one foot long joint that I, I remember that I remember <laughs> you wrote that I remember that was like your biggest project 
Yeah. Your biggest fucking project was, was completing this fucking 12 foot. It was a 12 foot joint. I have photos from that night. I'll, I'll, I'll send them to you. You have Someone to, man. Someone sent them to me recently. Seth, this show is about getting inside the minds of, of brilliant comedians and, and brilliant people that embrace the world of funny, man. And you are every bit of that dude i i can say genuinely i'm a i'm a fan i'm a friend and and dude i love what you've been able to accomplish and and i love the fact that you're still you you're still true to you man and i and i truly do hope that my audience uh you know takes away your 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 level of honesty your 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 transparency and just how you how you consistently are man it's just what makes you dope as fuck is why you have the fan base that you have and why you just continue to succeed it's because you're all around good dude, man. And I got to thank you once again for coming on Comedy Gold Mines. This was everything I thought it would be plus more. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Oh, man. Thanks for being on. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is Comedy Gold Mines. You just got inside the mind of Seth Rogen, goddammit. Don't forget it. And don't forget where it happened at. I'll see you next time. Peace. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.